Well, hello, and welcome to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast, practical advice for an impractical business. I'm your host, Jim Henry. The show is brought to you in part by donations from individual listeners and from Club Passing, the premier listening room in the heart of Harvard Square. Find them online at www.clubpassim.org. Together, we've raised about a third of what's needed to keep producing these shows. Please help me reach my goal by going to www.patreon.com slash jimhenry and join the other generous listeners in supporting this podcast. Today's guest is Dave Chalfant. Dave is a sought-after musician, producer, and engineer. A staple on the Americana music scene, Dave has toured the world and produced albums for some of the most respected artists working in acoustic music today. He's produced and recorded 15 albums for the folk supergroup The Neals, as well as seminal albums for Aaron McEwan, Stephen Kellogg, The Winter Pills, Ben Demarath, and many, many more. He's a current member of the band Spanish for Hitchhiking, the Stephen Kellogg Band, The Neals, and has just opened a brand new recording facility in Northampton, Massachusetts called Norfolk Studios. He's a busy guy and a good friend, so I'm glad he could come by and share some of what he's learned along his musical journey. So let's say hello to Dave Chalfant. So hello, Dave Chalfant. Hey, Jim Henry. How are you? Well, I'm good. Good. And it's good to be here. We've had to postpone this a couple of times due to some... It's true. Due to some adventures. Adventures, <laughs> mishaps. Yeah. So I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you could make it up here to the Ruby Tone studio. Well, thanks for having me. Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So one thing I've been asking everybody is, do you remember how we met? It sort of feels like I've just known you... Through osmosis, and at some point, you know, it, we just all were doing stuff. We're together. all the same. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember precisely when we met. I think the first time that I was really aware of you was uh, when you were playing with the Neals at uh, Falcon Ridge. Oh yeah, back in the day when there was you know five to ten thousand people right. on the right. hill on a Friday night, and I was standing backstage watching you go crazy. <laughs> That you was, were playing bass, right? I was playing point? bass yeah. with the Neals at that point. Yeah, we were. Uh, we <laughs> we had an energetic presentation. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> we used to call it the car chase. <laughs> car chase? Yes. Why? I, I don't get it. If all else failed, cut to the car chase. <laughs> Turn it all on. Jump around a bunch. Play too hard. Right. You know, but like full on energy. Right. And, That's effective. Well, it can be, depending <laughs> on the room. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, enough down memory lane, I guess. There it is. <laughs> so today we're here to talk about pro tips, and I sort of I sort of pointed you in this direction, and you were glad to, yeah, to do it. So yeah. what what's the pro tip we're going to so talk the about? Pro today? tip is worded as such: engineer and producer are different jobs that require different skills. So plan accordingly. Um, that's uh, that's brilliant. If I say so myself, sage sage <laughs> yeah. advice. So. <laughs> yeah, so you I, and so before you get going, I yeah. just I mean the reason I asked you to do this in particular is because you do both of those things. You I produce do. and you engineer stuff. Yes. I've come to you as an engineer. Yes. You know, I've asked I as me as a producer have come to you as an engineer. Exactly. And so I know you wear both hats very well. So that's why I want you to that's right. why I asked you to talk about these. I'm curious about the wording of the question, and I'm also curious to whom the tip is directed. Because it could be to artists searching for people to do these jobs for them, or it could be to people doing these jobs 
who might be struggling <laughs> <laughs> with figuring out those distinctions, you right. know, if they're Well, important. it's kind of both. It's, it's both. Uh, yeah. yeah, it is both. That's sort of what I had both in mind. Well, maybe we should talk about just what the different jobs are first or what sure. they entail. <laughs> Which one do you want to do first? Well, with, <laughs> you know, to put it, you know, kind of in a straightforward way, the engineer is the person in charge of manipulating the equipment, person in charge of uh, setting up the microphones and dialing the dials and making the decisions along the way. Well, not necessarily making the decisions, sometimes implementing someone else's request. Right. But it's the engineer's job to capture the sound, essentially. The producer's job, it's a broad umbrella. The producer is anywhere from <laughs> from a therapist <laughs> to an arranger, uh-huh. you know, to a referee, to, um, you know, to a talent buyer. <laughs> All right. uh, you know, or, and, and usually, you know, and the producer kind of is in, is in charge of the, uh, like, the big concept around the recording. Right. You know. Right. They're sort of like the, the project's manager or supervisor. Yeah. Well, do you have a preference of which one that you like better? Wow. It's kind of fun to get to do one or the other independent of the other. Right. You know, I became an engineer kind of out of necessity. I knew I wanted to make records, and I had ideas for how to make records. Uh, And it seemed to me, you know, from my early fiddling around with four tracks in my Hmm. high school bedroom. (laughs) Back in the day. Back in the day, that that was the way to, to kind of get it rolling. And that's how it, you know, I got asked to produce a record. Um, uh, the first Neils record, and I didn't have a studio. So I took out a loan and put together a kind of rudimentary ADAT studio um, and then <laughs> dove in head first to, you know, learning to engineer and then just kind of took it from there. Wow. How did you get elected to, to, to be the producer? <laughs> well, I had joined the band or sort of peripherally joined the band as, you know, as an accompanist, which is another kind of job right. that I do. <laughs> yep. uh, I don't know. I guess I seem the most trustworthy with the, <laughs> with the bigger concepts or maybe had the most ideas about how to take what was at the time an acoustic trio into the next kind of stage, which is a producer's, kind of a producer's um, job, I guess. Right. Or that's, it can be. Yeah. Um, yeah so they sort of tasked Yes. <laughs> you with, we, we want to go to another level. Yeah. And we need some, conceptually, we need some help with that. Right. right? Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, conceptually. And, you know, I had, they had never played with a rhythm section before. Mm-hmm. And I had done all my playing in band, you know, sort of rock band <laughs> right. environments and had that angle, had that understanding, how to coordinate a song with a rhythm section. You know, I'd spent a lot of time in my high school bedroom programming drum tracks hmm. so that I could make demos of my own, but I love to have a whole band sound. So I kind of learned how to like, how to put all that together. Right. You know, and that translated, that tra- translated, uh, I thought at the time very well right, to, to the next <laughs> job. I've learned, <laughs> I've learned so much since. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were all young and, and, and it fell to me to kind of put that plan together. Huh. So that was sort of your first gig as a producer. That was my first producing. Well, and, and engineering. And engineering job. Yeah. All sort of smashed together. But I took that model and um, 
sort of went with it. You know, that was the, uh, that became the job. And when I opened up my own studio, first in Conway and now in Northampton, I didn't, there weren't budgets that could sustain hiring a separate engineer or right. even going to a different studio. Right. I kind of had to put it all together myself. Right. Do you, do you ever get budgets like that? Um, <laughs> I've, had a, I'm, I've had a few records through the years where I've gotten to, to head out to a bigger studio and there's an engineer there right. and I can just kind of wave my arms and uh-huh. direct things. <laughs> um, and you, I, go ahead. Oh, and, and, and I'm actually just about to do a sort of big-ish project that will set me up in the same way. Right, so you'll be the producer. I'll be, no, well, actually, in this case, I will be the engineer, but we'll be going to a big studio oh, where I, I don't necessarily know the gear, so I can kind of point to the sub-engineers oh, uh-huh. and say, plug that in there and have it come up on that channel uh-huh. and make sure that goes there. <laughs> 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 what everybody can't see is the way you're, you're waving your arms or gesturing. <laughs> that's right. Almost that's like right. Jesus. Just that's that's <laughs> exactly make, part of make it. Make it so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually brings up an interesting point that I wanted to talk a little bit about is that uh, sometimes there's a distinction between a recording engineer and a mix engineer. Yes. So they're sort of they're they're often you know the same person, but they're a different set of skills. Yeah, for sure. And you you do both of those. things. I do do both of those yeah. things. Again, by necessity. Right. Sort of throughout the years. Right. But do you sometimes um, have people come to you with just the mix portion yes. of the? Yes. Mm-hmm. For a, for a while, that's been you know I would say about half of what I do. Uh, it's been about half of what I do. So you don't. Which is, so that basically means you don't do any of the recording. I don't people do any of the recording. Send you the tracks. People send me the tracks, and I do the mixing and send them back. And usually, I never meet them. <laughs> 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 Sometimes I meet them, but well, that's know. a that's a uh, a lot of trust that you have to put in somebody who you've never met. Yes, it is, Remarkable. and I'm always amazed and surprised and. Feel like I've tricked somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right, wait a minute. <laughs> I got the job. Making a CD involves five different parts. Yeah. And I'm, you'll probably agree with me on this. There's the pre-production right. part. There's the recording the basics part. Yeah. There's the recording the overdubs part. Yeah. There's the mixing part. Mm-hmm. And then there's the mastering part. Exactly. And um, so we're talking about, right now we're talking about the mixing part and how they can be separate. Yeah. Right? Or the the engineering part, so that the, the the recording aspect is different than the mixing aspect. So let's talk about being a producer for uh-huh. a second. Yeah, the producer uh, is involved in those aspects too, but the producer is also involved in the other aspects of it, the pre-production. Yes, which is I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like it's probably the most important part. You know, getting the material ready. Absolutely. I mean, you know, in the pre-production phase, the producer is kind of. If it's a band or even just a, uh, a soloist, the producer kind of gives you that, that objective perspective on the material that is being brought to the project. And sometimes you need to winnow down songs. Almost I, always you need almost to. Almost always. <laughs> <laughs> you need to winnow down yeah. from, you know, from maybe 20 songs down to an album length kind of thing, you know, 10 to, 10 to 14 songs. A producer is involved there. A producer is involved in in the individual songs, in, in arranging the songs. Sometimes, you know, is there a bridge here? Is there a chorus there? How many times do we do this? How do we go, how do, we do the ending? Um, yeah, just prep, prepping the material. Yeah, and, and you know, and the producer can even be, in, I mean, there's plenty of times that I've been involved in, um, in sort of determining the feel, like picturing ahead and saying, okay, the drums are gonna be on this and they're gonna feel like this. 
so you better go and learn how to play the guitar <laughs> like this. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, yeah. Picking tempos and um, yeah, and then and then helping the artist or artists prepare themselves to yes, go into the studio. Exactly. Because you know, I mean. <laughs> An extra pro tip is, oh, it probably is one of the pro tips, as well prepared as you can be yeah. before going into the studio, yeah. the more prepared, the better. Absolutely. And mostly that means, I mean, the days are gone where you just kind of show up in the studio and work stuff out and yeah. kind of live there for a while. Yeah. It's, it's too expensive. You yeah. can't do that you now. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. So any, any, uh, every minute in the studio that you spend sort of figuring stuff out is your your you know, you're paying whatever you're paying per hour to do right. that. If you can do that ahead of time, you're not you're not spending that money. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, that whole universe has been blurred a little bit. You know, now that record companies are gone, there's no more budgets for that sort of stuff. Right. And everyone's recording stuff in their private spaces. Right. And sometimes that arrangement, for better or worse, <laughs> gets blurred. All right, that you was know. another thing I wanted to, to bring up. Is So we're talking sort of about producers and engineers, but now... Uh, and and sometimes they're the same person. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about adding the artist into that too. So now yeah. you're the artist, you're the producer, and you're the engineer. Exactly. And yeah. that's that's daunting. That is daunting. It's really hard to do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to word this formula, but it's something like this: the amount that you don't think you need a producer is in inverse proportion to the amount that you probably need a producer. Right. You know, and I think that it is a... <laughs> True. I think that it's a... And I don't mean to kind of be a, a schmuck about this, <laughs> but, and I was guilty of it as a, as a young artist. You've got a head of steam and you think, I've got the plan and I've got a dream and I know how to put it together. And you look at some of the... You look at the best records that there are and there's always a producer on there, and it's always the Rolling Stones need a producer. It's always, you know, right. everyone needs a producer. And to kind of underestimate the value of having that voice in the studio can be folly. <laughs> <laughs> can be folly. Yeah, it's true. But, you know, the, the problem, of course, is that producers cost money. Producers do cost money. And that's where the a lot of times the engineer ends up being the producer yeah. or yes, know, wearing exactly. that hat. That's exactly. sort of, sort of it seems like that's sort of the default now. Well, it is. And that's something that I think it's important for, um, say you're a band, you're a young band, and you've booked a studio, and the studio comes with an engineer. You should go in there with a willingness to receive the feedback of that engineer, even if you haven't hired a, sp- a producer separately. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've been doing it a while. I mean, if you start asking the engineer questions, how it sounds or, right. you know, is yeah. this a good part or whatever, you're asking them to do a different job. Exactly. Then you've, then you've crossed over into the producer territory. So if you're going to ask them, you should just pay attention to what they say because they've been yeah. doing they've this. They've been at it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, I wanted to do this. I just wanted to try this thing. Yeah. I thought of when I was thinking about you, you know, doing this uh, interview... This is something I want to try. I'm going to uh, give you two words. Yeah. And you have to pick one like you have to deal with it for the rest of your life. Okay. All right? Two words. You just tell me. Yep. And no explanations. Just okay. tell me. Okay. So analog or digital? Digital. Click or no click? Click. U87 or 414? 414. Huh. Bourbon or scotch? Hmm. 
<laughs> and now I'm tripped up. I know. I didn't think that what was going to be the one. <laughs> so, scotch. Well, scotch. Yeah. Really? Uh, 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 dog or cat? Dog. Tequila or vodka? <laughs> Tequila. Live or overdub? Overdub. Uh, rehearsal or no rehearsal? <laughs> rehearsal. No rehearsal. Uh, no, capo yes, or no capo? Capo. Light or medium? <laughs> Light. <laughs> Acoustic or electric? Electric. Beatles or Stones? Stones. Richard Thompson or Bruce Coburn? Oh, man. I know that's a tough one. I think Richard Thompson. Richard Thompson? Yeah. Yeah, I probably, I would probably yeah. have it that way too. Okay. That be- I just wanted to do that. There's like no that. relevance to the conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might be fun. Uh, so let's talk about the money aspect the of money. this. Basically, if you're going to hire a producer, and this is, there's no like one answer to this, mm-hmm. you know, what percentage of the budget might go to a producer? It's rare that my role and or various roles in a project are not all connected. So when I'm setting the budget or setting a price for a project, I'm taking into account the production part right. of it, the engineering part of it, the amount that I'm going to play on the record, uh, the studio time, right. the mix time, and sometimes even the mastering time. Although I like to break out the mix and the mastering as separate fees. You know, it's I hard just, to say. Yeah, it is hard to say. <laughs> Having a producer ends up saving you money Yes. in some ways. Yeah. And it almost always gets you a better product. Yes. Right? So I think essentially a producer is, if you want your product to be better overall, yeah. it's worth hiring one. Yes, it, it costs a little bit more, but it's worth doing if it you is. can do it. Yeah. If you yeah. can do it. No, it is. It is worth doing. We've, we've enumerated some of the reasons why, but the producer is just going to... I mean, a lot of times, you know, I joked before that the producer was a talent buyer. But the truth is, something that comes with being a producer is having access to a network of people who can do these jobs quickly right. and really well and save you a lot of money. Right. You know? I mean, <laughs> I take advantage of you all the time, yeah. Jim Henry, uh, because I know you'll come in. And on time. On time, <laughs> having, having prepared charts and knowing the songs and, have, and coming in with an idea, right. you know? And so we can do a quick session, get the overdubs through, and not have to worry a lot about it. It's good knowing somebody who knows some people. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's a real tendency, especially for young acts, young artists, to want to do things as cheaply as they possibly can. Yes. And I certainly understand <laughs> that. Yeah. I certainly understand that. Yeah. But a lot of times doing the cheapest thing is in the end going to be detrimental to what you're trying to do. Well, sometimes the cheapest the cheapest approach demands that you do it all over again. Right. <laughs> well, there's that, <laughs> you know. I mean, in its worst case. Well, I think you know. now the, the way the music industry is is the idea of going in and this is just my personal opinion, but the idea of going in and making a full-length record at this point may not be the most, the best approach. Yeah. Like in, instead of spending whatever that might cost you, twenty, you know, anywhere from ten to fifty thousand right. um, dollars, 
Instead, maybe raise $2,500 and do one song. Yeah, well, you know, it's been a long time since I've done a full-length record. Uh I've done a series of what you could call EPs. Mm -hmm. I've done a bunch of singles, like one-off things. I think something that people are doing now more frequently is releasing songs serially. You know, they'll like put put up, record a song, have a big event about that song, release it online, and kick it all around to to their network, and then say, and there's another one coming up, yeah. you know. Right, um, keeps people interested. Keeps and... people interested. I think the, you know, the sort of music delivery mechanism is so different, mm-hmm. you know, than it was 10 years ago. I know, it's amazing. Even. All the recording platforms are different yeah, too. recording platforms are different. It's... It's a strange new world. <laughs> I feel like I feel like such a geezer. Yeah, right. <laughs> like back when I was, you know, using ADATs and <laughs> I know ADATs. Can you even ADATs. imagine that now? After ADATs, I had a a twenty four track hard drive. There was no undo on right, that. Right, right. It was like I can't even fathom that. Now. <laughs> I know. What do you mean there's no undo? I know. I know. The endless, yeah, endless license to fiddle. <laughs> so you uh, are also an accompanist, yes? Right? You play guitar and bass, play guitar and bass, and, um, and various kinds of both of those things. Yeah, and some slidey devices, some mm-hmm. lap steel, and a little bit of dobro. Um, but usually, I leave that to Jim Henry, <laughs> and uh, and some banjo. Banjo? Yeah, I did, I did not know that about you, but but. <laughs> But not in any authentic way. <laughs> or, in, or in public. <laughs> or in public. It's been in public, but very rarely. <laughs> so you end up doing a lot of um, playing on the recordings that you do, playing for yes. other people. Yes, and that, for the, that has been the sort of most reliable and repeated model, um, especially from working with a, with, um, a string of singer-songwriters, mm-hmm. you know, soloists, where I end up providing... The bulk of the accompaniment on the recording. Well, that seems like that's a, and that's kind of what I do too. Yeah, you know, because yeah. um, you, when you uh, hire guys like us, you kind of get the whole package, which is interesting because we're we're basically telling people not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what both. That's well, how we both do it. You know, it's. Uh, I think. Or we're not telling them not to do it. We're yeah. telling them, make sure you hire the right guy. Yeah, hire the right guy. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> the pro tip says they're different jobs, and they are different jobs, but that doesn't mean that one right. person can't, can't do them. You know, one, once upon a time, it was, a, it was um, a lot more clear. Like, for instance, when the Beatles were recording, they were, they were recording at Abbey Road, and the engineers there wore like lab coats. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's all they could do. And they could only use the equipment in a certain way. Right. You know, there were, there were like a whole set of guidelines around how loud you could turn up something. And so what happened when the engineer Jeff Emmerich came along um, was he was willing to sort of buck the, <laughs> the authorities. Uh-huh. And he was willing to crank up those preamps so that you could get that crazy distortion that's on Revolution. Right. And do all sorts of things, you know. And then they had George Martin, very separate job, writing arrangements and playing harpsichord. And that's sort of the point: is those they are separate jobs, but um, or I guess it's important as a as an artist or 
a band to realize that they're separate jobs. And it's, it's cool to hire somebody who's going to do those jobs, but just to understand there are different hats that have to be worn. You know, as opposed to the, let's go in and record and let's ask the engineer what he thinks about stuff. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which is okay to do, but it's important to note the distinction and to talk about it beforehand. Yes. You know, to... Well, yeah, it's okay to do as long as everyone... Yeah, like you say, as long as everyone's on the same page. Right. Because you are asking something extra of, of that engineer. You know. So it's really, it's the engineer that gets put upon in these situations, <laughs> really. I mean, that's because yeah. from the producer side of it, I know that I I, I like to do it, uh, but it's also can be a struggle because, as you mentioned, sometimes you're a therapist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's an emotional experience recording your own music. It absolutely is. I mean, you're, you're there capturing, hopefully, the best of what you've got. You know all sorts of your dreams and hopes wrapped up and <laughs> <laughs> wrapped up in whatever project you're working on at any given time. Right, and that can, uh, you know, <laughs> that can bring up a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like the stakes are can be are high. Yeah, uh, and part of what a producer can do is to sort of talk you down. <laughs> yeah, producer can talk you down, and you know the producer can help you communicate with people in other roles with whom you may not have a common language. There's um, plenty of, I've worked with plenty of um, songwriters who have never played with a rhythm section. They don't necessarily know how to explain that sound that's in their head to a drummer. And they say, it's something like bim, bam, boom. (laughs) And as a producer, you have to kind of like work as a translator to take that idea, funnel it through your understanding of both sides of this, and then translate it to the drummer to say, you know, I need, I need this kick pattern, and I need the hi hats doing eighth notes. Right. And I need, or you, know, you, you know, you've hired a drummer who can who can, you know, easily adapt and speak that language. Right. If exactly. They have to. Yeah. I mean, and it's a colorful, it's a colorful vocabulary, <laughs> in the studio. You know <laughs> about because sometimes it is. It's more about an ethereal quality. Sure. Um, yeah. And how do you, you know, how do you express that? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, sometimes it's hard to do. And yeah, like you said, a producer can help sort of bridge that, that gap. Right. Or, um, or conceive of how to get to that place. Right. You know, an artist comes in with a fantasy about how the song's going to sound and the producer, it's a producer's job to kind of make that fantasy or dream come true. Right. You know, or it can be the producer's job to take a song beyond what an artist's imagination right. even was in the first place. That's been my experience with people in the studio, artists, if I'm playing on a, or producing something, as soon as you start putting some instruments on it, they mm-hmm. start to freak out because it sounds so cool. <laughs> it's true, it's true, it sounds like a record. Right, because they're used to just sitting there playing the guitar and singing, and then all of a sudden there's you know all the stuff on there, and it's like, wow! Yeah, yeah. no, it's true, and that's, that's a cool, I mean, it's kind of why we do this yeah, on yeah. some I level, mean, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's got to be about some of that magic and some of that wonder. Right, right. Know? So let's, um, we're sort of bouncing around talking about different aspects of producing and engineering and playing. And I was curious about, uh, so you do, you do mix engineering. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what does that entail? Well... Yeah, you're presented with all the tracks recorded onto individual 
channels. And sometimes, like, what's a typical amount of tracks? Well, for a, you know... With, with drums, let's say. If there's so usually there's, you know, eight to ten tracks of drums, and then you've got bass, and you've got a bunch of guitars, and can be up to 30 tracks of information on a... or more on a, uh, on a given song if you include background vocals mm -hmm. and the doubling of those background vocals. And, you know, there's all sorts of extra elements. And now track counts... I mean, once upon a time... You had to limit your tracks to four, and then right. you could do eight, and then you could do 16, and then you could do 24, you know, when people were still using tape. And then you really had to make a plan right. about, but now you can just, you know, unlimited track counts, you can just throw <laughs> throw as many as you want on there. Um, well, so it's different if you, if you have recorded the tracks, then yeah. you kind of know what's there. But if you get a project that's got 40 tracks on it, yeah. and you weren't involved in the recording right. of them, that must be kind of difficult to well, put Well, it that can together. be difficult, and something that I try to make very clear <laughs> to somebody sending me a, a, a project like that is label your tracks with as much clarity as you can right? so that I'm not pawing through and having to listen through each sound and guess what right. you meant by it. You know, put right. something descriptive. It says Jerry on the track. That right. doesn't Jerry, give you any information. <laughs> you know, but if you say, you know, Jerry Solo or Jerry Extra. Right. <laughs> Do you, yeah. So do you like to get them in a certain way? When I lay out, I mean, I don't use a real console, but when I lay out my virtual console, it's always drums first, bass, guitars, keyboards, whatever other extra instruments, and then vocals at the end. And that's just so I know where to look. I'm used to it. I'm used to doing it that way. You mean just physically set it up on the board like physically that? From left to right. The, yeah, kind of physically uh -huh. set it up on the board like that. Huh. Yeah. Um, and it's not about prioritizing one over the one over the other. Sometimes people look, why is my vocal at the very end? Because <laughs> it's the most, the most important, important thing. Because it's the most important. <laughs> oh. Well, or do you, uh, when I do a mix, I generally tend to build from the bottom up, meaning yes. the drums yeah. and the bass and then the guitar and stuff like that. So the vocal is the last thing a lot yes. of times that gets, um, that gets dealt with. And I, you know, and then I did it that way for years and years. And, but I have found that, um, it's sort of my approach to mixing is constantly evolving, you know, and I have this ideal in my head that I still haven't reached. <laughs> An ideal of An how ideal to go of about how, it, you mean? Of how I want my mix to sound, of what I want it to do when it comes out of the headphones or the speakers, you know. I've gotten close a few times. <laughs> so it's always, yeah, it's like, like being a player. You're always... Always striving, you never yeah, really quite exactly. arrived. Exactly, you I never see. quite yeah. arrived. And sometimes it's about a new piece of gear, or sometimes it's about learning a trick from somebody. But lately, even with some bigger rock mixes, I've started with the vocal because huh. I know I want the vocal. If I want the, you know, I want the vocal to be like huge and in your face. And if I start with the vocal sounding that way and build the rest of the mix around that, you know, then that's the result I get. Interesting, because that is sort of contrary to popular. Well, it is, because a lot of times, you know, you build a huge, you know, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how many huge rock mixes your listeners... <laughs> I, I don't know. ...will be doing, but who's to say? <laughs> uh, but any, you know, anytime you build, you know, sort of a big sounding mix, and then you want to try to insert a big vocal over the top of that, you're struggling with a certain amount of space. You're struggling right. with a certain amount of sort of dynamic range and um, sonic space, and sometimes it's hard to shoehorn everything you want out of the vocal, you know, on top of something like that. 
even though your drums sound glorious. <laughs> Sometimes you have to prioritize, uh -huh. you know. Well, the vocal always wins. Vocal always wins, yeah. and uh, that's just what's true. So do you, you use a lot of compression on vocals to make, um, them, to make them I do stand out and big? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, an artist with some knowledge about it all will say, that's too much for me. But that's, that's kind of the sound. You know, that's yeah. definitely like the modern sound. Right. And that gives you that in your face, very detailed, you know, all the inflections and all the, right. all the, the little breaths. creaks and the breaths and yeah. everything that gets it in there. Do you ever um, do any radical EQ on, the, on a voice or do you try and keep it to make it fit into a mix? Not, I wouldn't say radical. It's usually about, you know, helping it find its spot. I mean, what's interesting is like every mix engineer gravitates towards a certain sort of spectrum of sounds. And all your mixes, sometimes as hard as I try, <laughs> all my mixes end up sounding like all the other mixes right. do. You know, just because I style. want... It's a style. I yeah. want my vocals to sound like this. I want my drums to sound like this. And what's your feeling on reverb? <laughs> and reverb? Delay? I have... <laughs> When I first started, you know, mixing records actually that were going to be released, I thought reverb was the enemy. I thought it was schlocky and and uh, inauthentic and all those those you know sort of <laughs> hubristic <laughs> hubristic things that that you think when you're young. Um, <laughs> I have embraced reverb uh -huh. and delays and atmosphere mm -hmm. and space definitely in my most in my more recent mixes. You, you know, you have to add it to taste right? and be, be appropriate about it. But I like it. I like what it does. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> I do too. <clears throat> do you EQ your reverbs? Yes, all the and time. Do you, use, do you use the Abbey Road technique? Are you uh, familiar with that one? No, tell me about that. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, essentially you roll off everything above about 7K mm -hmm. and everything below about 600 uh, I have done that. And then you put a little dip at where the vocal is, about 2K or yeah. something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I've done that. Yeah. Uh, I, I do spend a lot of time adjusting the um, the high end of a reverb, because sometimes if you leave all the high end in there, it's, it's just clattery and, and splashy yeah. and sort of unpleasant. And a lot of times, uh, reverb will add like low-mid buildup, mm -hmm. and that's the enemy of any mix, mm -hmm. you know, and that's contained in, well, just about everything. <laughs> yeah, right. So do you um, in, do you do, you do a, uh, a bass roll-off on everything? Uh, well, when I master, I cut off everything below uh, 30 hertz. But you don't do that in the mixing part? Uh, I, I do. I do. I put a, I put a high-pass high filter on a lot of tracks, uh -huh. um, especially things that don't go below, but that maybe the room had right. an extra woof to it or something. Mm -hmm. As much of that as you can get rid of leaves you space to clear up the rest of the things. Yeah. You know, and a reverb will, will add a huge pile of that. So the, you know, the high, you know, the rolling off the low end on the reverb and scooping out the mids a little bit. Right. You know, that, that can helps. really, really help it. Sorry about geeking out there, people. <laughs> That's how, like, I don't know whether, I don't know whether people want to hear about this I don't specificity know. or not. I don't know. I mean, it's sort of geeky talks like this ultimately have opened up like huge doors for me. I remember, um, I don't know if you, there's a series called Classic Albums that was uh, like an MTV yeah. um, series. I never saw it. But they were, um, it was an hour long documentary about the making of amazing albums. And the first one I ever saw was the Fleetwood Mac record. 
uh-huh. uh, rumors. And just hearing them talk about how they made that record, how they engineered that record, you know, how they put the sounds together, and they soloed individual elements so you could hear, like, what this weird 12-string part was doing and uh-huh. go your own way, which is insane. And, like, and just hearing and hearing how they were EQ'd, I thought, oh, it, like, blew, blew my head open, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And suddenly this, you know, this, like, silly TV show helped me reimagine how to approach putting instruments together. Right. You opened know? up your eyes Opened up bit. my eyes a bunch, so. Well, I love the story of a record. And it's tempting to plan your own record story. To say, I'm going to record this record like this, and I'm only going to use these elements, right. and I'm going to, we're going to do it out on the porch. And, yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing like making a plan for your record to like guarantee that that's not how your record is going to get made. <laughs> because the story comes after the thing's done. Right. And yeah, then you can't plan usually, it. you know, all sorts of crazy shit happens when you're making a record. Right. So. Well, but you can choose a path yes right absolutely so you can you can say okay this is going to be a live record yeah and we're going to take yep. what we get commit yourself to that right yeah and you can set up the where you're going to do this live record mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. that another thing i learned along the way was <laughs> be willing to do it again if that's the answer right sometimes you've committed so much time and so many resources to either a given song maybe even a whole record Right. And it's just not right, but you think, oh, we're, we're too far down the road on this song. Look at all the time we already spent. Right. That'll have been squandered. But sometimes the real answer is that's just what happened, and you got to move on and uh, do it try again. it again. Try it again. You know, and I yeah. think I've been, af- you know, there was a long time where I was afraid. I was afraid to uh, say it ever, because as a producer, you're kind of the captain. Right. You know, and if you step out and go, ah, oh, we blew it. <laughs> Guess what, everybody? <laughs> We're doing it again. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's sometimes you got to bite that bullet. Right. You know. Well, and it's the same with songwriting, too. Mm-hmm. You can get all the way through a song and think that you're done and then look at it a different way and go, oh, that's not quite right. Yeah. But, I, you know, I just spent weeks on this. For How sure. Can I, but sometimes, as you say, the right thing to do is to just scrap it yeah. and take what you've learned and, yeah, move and on do, from there. do something better. Unless you tell anybody, the listeners don't know. <laughs> they just know you got a great recording or a great song out of it. <laughs> it's good advice. Yeah. As painful and as expensive oh, as that yes, might be. yes, indeed. <laughs> but part of the job as a, uh, of a producer is to try and make sure that doesn't happen. Make sure it doesn't happen or anticipate it enough ahead of time. Right, to sort you know, of steer, steer things a different steer way. steer things a different way, yeah. I have enough confidence in my ability that what I do is not going to make that happen. Right. Right? Um, so if it does happen, it's probably because the artist, I mean, honestly, didn't take some advice. <laughs> that's that's you know? often I mean, the case. That's almost always yeah. the case. So I know as a producer, I am very clear, like, I'm telling you this thing, and if you decide that you don't want to do it, that's fine, but right. I'm telling you, if you do, you're likely to run into problems. Yeah. And if we do, I'll help you get out of it, but I warned you. Right. <laughs> right. Sort of. Right. Yeah. Hard I'm enough. curious um, if it's a pro tip for a producer or an engineer. Like, imagine your pro tip is directed towards producers and engineers. That same pro tip? Yeah. Have you ever encountered people for whom those jobs are, are not clear and have crossed the line? Um, oh, you mean, well, I've certainly worked with engineers 
even when there were producers mm-hmm. who decided they wanted to help produce. Yeah. Like the, um, sometimes engineers will speak up about production stuff and it's not helpful. Right. Sometimes. Right. Is that what you were getting at? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Either because that's sort of their personality or because they're so used to being asked to throw mm-hmm. in right. on stuff, but it can actually be a problem. Yeah. You know, slows things down, complicates yep. things. You may steer the artist in a different direction that the produ- the actual producer doesn't want to go for yeah, whatever reason. Exactly. So yeah. do you, you run into that sometimes? Um, or do you do that sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've done it. <laughs> I'm sure I've done it. You know, and I, and I think that for me it's hard sometimes to separate the capture of the sound from the intent of the recording. I've certainly been in, in positions where I've been hired as an engineer and an artist says, you know, I want it to sound like X. And I know, like I know from that moment that if, it, if you make this sound like this now, it's just not going to work down the line. Right. Like I can predict already what's going to happen. Right. You know, if you want this acoustic guitar to sound like this, it's not going to fit in with all the other instruments that you're trying to put on there. You know. And so, do you say something? If I not, try to if say not something. asked, I try to say something along. You know, when that comes up, right. try to give my my advice. And you know, I think no matter no matter who you are giving that advice, you've got to find a way to present it in a palatable way, so that it's not antagonistic. Right. <laughs> well, and that's. I mean, but that's you know that's useful information at yeah. that point. Yes. Um, yeah, th- which is very different than what I was talking about before. Right. Of someone offering, oh, you know, yeah. you know, what, you know what the song should have. You, you might want to think about yeah, a cello right. on this song, <laughs> that's right? right. <laughs> or, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Dave Chalfin, for stopping by. It's been my great pleasure, Jim Henry. I know it's any time. It, yeah. Well, well yeah. maybe we'll have you back to, to do another one. Cool. Of these. Cool. So before you go, I'm hoping that you and I can play a tune. Yeah, yeah. What's this one called? It's a little number called the Twelve String Rag. Thanks for listening to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast, practical advice for an impractical business. To get in touch with Dave Chalfant and to find out more about Norfolk Recording Studios, drop him a line at dchalfant68 at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, please consider becoming a supporter. Visit www.patreon.com slash jimhenry. There you'll find information on how to contribute, along with a great selection of rewards that are only available to supporters. Thanks for listening. <laughs>